You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 3-1 pitch with the bases loaded, swung on, hit into right center. It's going to fall for a base hit. In comes Ozzie Smith. Here comes Ronnie Smith. In the third goes Ramsey. So Keith Hernandez singles to right center to drive in two, and suddenly Keith Hernandez leads the World Series with eight RBIs. Who does this guy think he is? I'm Keith Hernandez. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome back to the Emerald Queen Casino Roundtable. We do have a special guest with us, Gary Hill with you, alongside Rick Riz, Aaron Goldsmith, and Keith Hernandez is with us. And Keith, I want to start with that moment we just heard. I mean, there's so much to talk about with your career, an MVP, all-star games. I mean, the standard at first base defensively for a long time. You won two World Series, but you got to live out really that backyard moment that everyone dreams about. Game seven of the World Series, bases loaded, you're at bat in the sixth inning, your team trailing by a couple of runs. What was it like to live out that moment, get the big hit, your team goes on to win the World Series? Well, uh, it was my uh, first World Series, so it was very nerve-wracking. I started out that World Series 0 for 15 and uh, wound up I, the last three games going 7 for 11, and I drove in eight runs, so I got off to a really shaky start. It was a little rough, um, but the, what made that more difficult was that I remember uh, Whitey pinched hit uh, Gene Tennis, mm. and Bob McClure was on the mound, and I grew up with Bob McClure. And I'm in my first, we played Little League ball together against each other. And uh, went to high school together uh, from my freshman year until we, until we moved. So I grew up with Bob. And here I am in my first World Series. We're down two runs in that game and, you know, getting late. And uh, bases loaded. And they walked tennis. Uh, so basically they wanted to pitch to me. And... Um, I had to step out of the box. I'm looking at Bob, and I'm going, holy cow, I don't need this. <laughs> and, um, you know, fortunately, Lee Wire was the home plate umpire, and it was a, uh, it was a two-and-one count, and Bob threw all curves. And he threw me a fastball, and it was knee-high outside corner for a strike. And Lee Wire was a big guy, mm-hmm. National League umpire, and he was a pitcher's umpire, and particularly the outside corner. He gave the around four inches to the pitcher all the time. And he went to call the strike and said ball. And that changed the hole at bat. It made it three and one with the bases loaded. And then Bob had to come in with a, a fastball to me. And it was uh, tried to come up and in and just didn't get it in enough. And then ironically, in my next World Series, I have pretty much the identical situation with Bruce Hurst in 86 with the Red Sox. We're losing late in game seven. And Tim Tuffle's up in front of me. And he walks Tuffle on a 3-2 curveball. And that set it up for me, I believe, to tie the game. And then Carter came and got the hit the ball. The same the same scenario. So I'm sitting there in Shea Stadium, going, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> you know, t- two World Series, uh, four years apart, and I've got the same situation where I've got to get a base hit to get our club back in the ball game. So, fortunately, I came through both times, and uh, it was all all good uh, for us. Keith, you bring up the World Series against the Red Sox. Can you tell us? Your vantage point, your view of Buckner's error at third base and what immediately went through your head when that happened? Well, uh, it's pretty 
uh, I went up in the clubhouse because they were going to, uh, they were, they were, we were, that's the greatest comeback in, in World Series probably history. We were down, what, two runs? The two or three, I'm not sure, I forget. And two outs, nobody on. And all that, all that stuff started happening. I made the second out in the inning. So uh, they put up on the scoreboard our, 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 our the Mets. No, before the game was over, congratulations, 1986 world champion Boston Red Sox. And I remember Clemens, won, when he got pulled in the seventh inning uh, or whatever, he got pulled, uh, he went in and shaved. And that was kind of our rallying cry because they put the camera on him, and there he was clean shaven. He always pitched with a growth. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of our rallying cry and because uh, it was on the Diamond Vision when they called it Diamond Vision back there. I don't know what they call it now. But anyway, uh, when we made the second out, and I made the second out, I wasn't going to see them have uh, fun on our field. So I was up in the clubhouse with, believe it or not, Daryl Johnson was our advanced scout, who was the Red Sox manager in the World Series. They lost to the Reds. I forget the year. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I saw it up in Davey Johnson's office because it was two outs, and all of a sudden, Carter got a hit, and I'm sitting in this chair, and then Kevin Mitchell got a hit. And then when Ray Knight got a hit, I just told Daryl Johnson, I said, I'm not going back out on the bench. <laughs> I go, this, this, this chair's got hits in it. I go, if, I, if, I, if I leave this chair, I go, we're going to lose this World Series. We're done. So I stayed and watched it all, and the stadium was rocking. We were underneath the seats, and... Uh, it was like the Madison Square Garden in a rock concert. It was just unbelievable. Keith, 1979 was, was such a great year for you. MVP award, All-Star game. The All-Star game was played here in Seattle at the Old Kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, third year of the history of the franchise. And, of course, you were there. What do you remember about that game, playing in that game? I pinched hit in that game, uh, and Marty Bringstead was the umpire behind home plate. I faced Jim Kern. That's the inning that uh, Mazzelli hit the home run in the opposite field oh. off of Kern. And uh, the first pitch from Kern, I'd faced Kern in AAA, so I knew what Jim had. And the pitch was a foot and a half outside, and Marty Brinkstead called it a strike. And I looked at him, and I said, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And he goes, swing the bat, Sonny. <laughs> swing the bat, Sonny. I am, that's a quote. Whoa. And I'm sitting here at my first, my first All-Star game, and um, – what am I wow. going to do, get thrown out yeah. on national TV? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I was just livid. And I wound up striking out on three pitches. I, I was so pissed off at him <laughs> that I couldn't get myself back together. And um, But Jim was a good pitcher, too. But my mo best memories were my first time to Seattle. And it was such a lovely, lovely city. And they had the, um, in between all the, all, all, the, all the stuff, they had the, big, they had the big salmon cook out on one of your islands here. And we all ferried out. Uh, hundreds of us, maybe thousands, and um, uh, it was a beautiful a day, and we all ferried out, and it was an old-fashioned Indian tradition, the local Indian style, American Indian style uh, yeah, salmon, salmon feed, yeah. yeah, and it was all outdoors, it was so beautiful, and that's what I remember most about uh, that All-Star game was that luncheon yeah. we had. <laughs> and Dave and Parker's Sunny throw. <laughs> Dave Parker's throw to get Yeah, Brian all Dave down. Parker had oh, a great man. game, of course. He was the MVP. And he was probably the at that time he was the that that four year period Parker was the best player I've ever saw play. No one came close. I gotta ask you about your second career as well. <laughs> you go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> because Seinfeld, I mean, one of the most popular shows in television history, and you played a major role in some of the most memorable episodes <laughs> in television history. How did that come about? 
Uh, Jerry was a, Met, a Brooklyn guy. He was a Met fan, and I was his favorite player. So remember now, the Mets have stunk most of their <laughs> existence. And uh, our 10 years when I was there, uh, well, not even 10 years. I was there seven years. It's probably the best period of time in Met history, mm-hmm. uh, you know, put together. And um, he and Larry David wrote the show, and uh, they didn't know how to get a hold of me. And I was a year retired. I was living in New York, Manhattan. And uh, I got a call from my final agent. My last agent was Scott Boris. And uh, he called me on the phone and said, hey, we got this sitcom. They want you to come to L.A. And would, are you interested? And I go, well, what's the name of the show? And they go, well, it's the Seinfeld show. I go, and I don't watch primetime. I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, it's a sitcom. I go, and it hadn't taken <laughs> off. That year it didn't take off. The first, okay. the first year or two it yeah. didn't take off. And... Um, he said, you're just going to have a small role. And I said, okay. So I, 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 I said, how much? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, $15,000. I said, I'll do it. Uh-huh. So they flew me out to L.A. They FedExed the script to me. Then I realized I was the guest star. And I had a lot of lines. I was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never acted. I'd never acted. I'd never, uh, you know, at that point, that was my first experience acting, which was, it was a great experience for me, seeing the whole week of, of, of preparation. Um, in doing the show, how they change the, the different things and they work together, the whole production end of it, and uh, it was it was a fascinating week. But uh, I was so exhausted when it was over because yeah. a lot I, of stretching. Uh, yes, and I had to do it in front of a live audience on, wow. on Friday night around three two hundred people, which was petrifying. And Jerry came up to me and goes, "What are you nervous about? You hit in front of fifty thousand people." <laughs> Yeah. I said, well, I don't have to memorize lines up on the plate. <laughs> and I, have, but I got through it, and, uh, you know, it turned out to be, you know, an iconic episode. Just very, very lucky. I had nothing to do with it. It was just the writers and the people around me that propped me up. I, I just memorized my lines. That's all I remember. I, I realized after Tuesday, two days of rehearsal, that this is preparation for this show, and then I leave, and they got to do another show another week, and I better not gum it up. So I made sure that I memorized my lines. So do people offer to help you move all the time when you <laughs> walk around? Okay. That, that and uh, what was it like to kiss a lamp? Yes, yes, exactly. In the and car, I, right? And I told him it took eight takes. <laughs> Beautiful. You're a smart man. <laughs> now, how long, how long did the residual checks come in for that one? They're still coming in. They're still coming in? They'll come in until the day I die. They, they, they diminish. Okay. But I had a guest star role, so that's the gift that keeps giving. Every time they show that show, people come up to me in the airport or something. They go, oh, I saw this, saw your episode last night. And I'll say, good, I'm getting a check soon. <laughs> Speaking of you being noticed, you were noticed last night going back to the hotel, it sounds like. Yes, a police officer who was not, he's a Dodger fan. Um, he recognized me from Seinfeld. And the parade was going across, and it was, we weren't going to be able to get across for another hour. <laughs> and uh, wow. he escorted us across. After a selfie, it looks like. After a selfie, <laughs> yes. A small price to pay. Yes. Pays off. Keith, tremendous career. But, you know, I take a look at your career, obviously, the numbers offensively. But you were one of the greatest defensive first basemen, I think, in the game of baseball. What made you so good defensively? Well, my father played pro ball and was a left-handed first baseman and was a great fielder, so I was taught at a very young age how to play the game. And I remember my father saying that, uh, you know, you got to play both sides of the field, and, you know, when you get older and if you go on in baseball, if you can play defense, your manager is going to be less inclined to take you out of the lineup if you slump. So those are things I worked on when I was a kid. And he always said, you know, you can help your team. When you're in a slump, you can still be helpful on the field. 
And uh, <laughs> it was great advice. It was something I took great pride in. I worked very hard at. But, in, you know, I had all the instruction as a, as, as a kid growing up with my father. And in the Cardinal chain in the minor leagues, they had great coaches there uh, that were helpful. And I just uh, got better and better because I worked at it. Nothing comes yeah. easy. I took... I never took anything for granted in my preparation for a game or in spring training when I took my ground balls. I had my, my routine, and I did not, I wasn't lazy. Uh, I did everything, you know, like it was a game. So you don't get any bad habits. You form your bad habits in batting practice and out, and, and then before the game, ground balls. You do everything properly to stay out of bad habits. Keith, this was a real treat. Thanks for coming yeah. over. Oh, great. I'm wish good. We had more time. Fantastic. I wish I did, too, uh, but i got to work here. We're going to have a three-and-a-half-hour <laughs> game, maybe? <laughs> I think so. The great Keith Hernandez. Thank Thanks you. so right. much. Hey, Appreciate it. Pleasure. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 